0: Today's scripture reading is from the book of James. Now, three years ago, I announced that on the five Sundays of that September, we'd focus on the book of James. That was a mistake. Hurricane Florence blew through here that September. It knocked out our electricity, which meant we didn't have air conditioning, we didn't have lights, you couldn't plug in this electronic instrument and so on. So we didn't have church that day. Now, if we just read ahead to the fourth chapter of James, I would have known better than announce my plans because James says, you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears a little while then vanishes instead. You ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So I'll change what I was saying. Lord willing, today we're going to focus on a reading from James, the one we missed because of Hurricane Florence. Now back then when we were studying James, we had a visitor who suggested I needed to give folks a little time to find that book in the Bible and maybe provide a hint or two. Well, I'll tell you, Books in the New Testament are not arranged according to when they were written. When I was a grown-up, that was kind of a surprise to me to find out. So we have after the four Gospels and then Acts, which is kind of Luke 2, you know. Uh, and before you get to the book of Revelation, we have letters, and they're all arranged according to length. We start with Longest, Romans, and then 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and so on. James is one of those little short books, so it it helps to know it comes after Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and Hebrews, and before the several letters of Peter and John. And if you get to Revelation, you missed your turn and went too far. You know, GPS would say, execute a legal (laughs) U-turn, go back. So our scripture reading schedule is called the Revised Common Lectionary. Lots of denominations use this three-year plan that moves you around It moves you through the life of Jesus and it also moves you around in in the Bible so the preacher's not always talking about his favorite passage along the way. So now if your friend says, my preacher's sermon's on the third chapter of James, you can say, mine too, for that reason. Listen now for God's word for us. In the third chapter of James, starting at the 13th verse, who is understanding Among you, who is wise and understanding among you, show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace." Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it. So you commit murder and you covet something and cannot obtain it. So you engage in disputes and conflicts you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you to God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, by rot and my Redeemer. Amen. Who is wise and understanding among you? The question that James starts with got me to thinking about some of the wise and understanding people I've known among the Berea Church family. I think of J.W. Coates. J.W. was blessed with a warm smile a twinkle in his eye that told me this is a man who has a sense of humor and joy in life. And he had a firm handshake that just just his handshake said my word is my bond. I think of Johnny Coates. The first time Betty and I went over to visit Alice and Johnny at their house Johnny told me that In his long and difficult struggle with cancer, he knew that he had no control over what might happen tomorrow or today for that matter. But one thing he was resolved to do, he talked about how Jack Sherman, the beloved former pastor here at Berea, Jack had started every service with that 24th verse of Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Johnny said that he had made that verse his motto, his mantra, to rejoice and be glad in every single day God gave him, and he did. I think of Louise Byrd and two particular kinds of wisdom. Every time she met someone, she'd say, I believe I made a new friend And she'd often add, You just can't have too many friends. Louise had the wisdom of how to make and, more importantly, keep friends. Another kind of wisdom she had was her choosing to be helpful. She told me that the one regret she had about that accident that injured her back and kept her from driving was that no longer could she drive other people to their medical appointments like she had before. Nonetheless, Miss Louise found ways to be helpful. While she lived at home, she kept in regular f- phone contact for most everyone here, I think. When you were on the receiving end of one of her calls, you knew you had been blessed. And even when she was in Springbrook, Louise had found a way to be useful. Another resident had lost the use of one arm due to a stroke, so Louise volunteered to cut that lady's meat at mealtime so the lady could enjoy her meal instead of waiting and waiting for staff to notice her need. She cut her meat before she cut her own. I think of the wisdom of Bruce Coates. At Sunday school, Bruce would always ask interesting questions. He'd ask his question, and then you'd hear people, the teacher and the students, say, that's a good question. I was kind of wondering about that myself, <laughs> now that you mention it. He had gifts of paying attention and the curiosity that leads to insight. He also had a way of expressing memorable compliments. Early on, when we were here, eight, nine years ago, he told Betty that she had a way of playing the piano just made him happy. She smiled all week on that one. Really <laughs> he told me I had the strangest sermon titles he had ever read, <laughs> and I took that as a Well, he also had a sense of humor that helped him through trying times. One day. We drove over to the hospital in Smithfield where he had been hospitalized, and we expected him to be another few days, but we got there in his empty room. So we called his house, and he explained that the doctor had released him, so he said, I, I tailed it out here, out of there, and I, I'm home just sitting on the sofa practicing my guitar. We just found out he used to play guitar, and it would, and said, oh, if you'd play Silent Night for us. Well, he ended up giving that guitar... Well, that guitar ended up going to Dylan, and Dylan has played it for us. So. I think of the wise and understanding Doug Hammond. Doug knew the value of family. He cherished his and Sharon's children and grandchildren, and they cherished him. Doug was famous for playing Santa Claus. The suit fit, and so did his hearty laugh. But it wasn't just the costume. One year, not at Christmas, but in the warmer off season, you know, Doug and Sharon are off at a, some fast food place when a small child shyly, shyly approached Doug and asked, are you? And with his big smile and that sparkle in his eye, Doug just held up his finger and said, don't tell. <laughs> Our reading from James has basically two main themes. First, we're warned about envy and selfish ambition. And secondly, he tells us, he calls us to a transformed life. Well, first he calls for gentleness, a word that can also be translated meekness. But this is not milquetoast, timidity kind of meekness. This meekness, this gentleness is a matter of trusting in God rather than in ourselves. James urges us to lead lives so that they testify to gentleness born of wisdom. If I ask you to name a person in our lifetime who was known for gentleness, surely one person you would think of would be that Presbyterian minister who was better known as Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Mr. Rogers said that when he was a boy, He said, I would see scary things in the news, and my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Well, that's good advice for children and grown-ups too, but I believe that James would go further and urge you and me to, to be those who are helpers. And James does not say, don't you be envious, Don't you have selfish motives? He says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be boastful. Do not be false to the truth because that leads to a host of problems. And by contrast, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without a trace of partiality, hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown In peace for those who make peace. Jesus said something like that too. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Now, did you hear that phrase, willing to yield? And think, now wait just a minute. (laughs) If you've ever tried to get on certain highways, you know that a lot of people don't understand that word, yield means you wait toward the other people, right? (laughs) Well, part of that willing. yield is is as simple as being willing to listen if you're really I'm sure I'm right if you're already convinced you don't need any more information you don't need to pay attention to anybody else's point of view if you want to see bad examples of that just go online and say something about politics or religion or public health or Motherhood and apple pie or anything you want and you will get bad examples of that. Last week I sent a pastor friend over in Durham a copy of a book review that I had written of this little book by Will Willman called Leading with a Sermon. And I may have to make a handout of it. He's got one section of how congregations ought to listen for a good sermon and get on their preacher when they don't. We might make a handout for that sometime. Well, my friend in Durham said that his church has quit using that term leader. And instead they use the word listener. Sounds like a pretty good plan. So first, we're warned about envy and selfish ambition. And second, he calls us to that transformed life, a life that is not double-minded. Double-minded in the sense that we try to be Friends of God and friends of the world. The problem is we can't have it both ways. What the world values, what the world honors, fame, money, possessions, conquests, triumphs, that kind of stuff. That's not what God loves and what God values. Chasing what the world values can lead us into all kinds of trouble. In the fourth chapter of James we read, you covet something, and cannot obtain it you engage in disputes and conflicts. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you, ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly. You know, when we pray for something for our selfish benefit, I pray that my team wins and yours loses. Well, why, don't, why, why should I think that God likes my team or me better than you? That God loves all, all his children. And I guess all the teams. Well, this morning we began with examples of answers to the questions that James asked. Who's wise and understanding among you? Let me give you a couple more outside our church family. In my work as a psychologist, I have to tell you, I heard so many disturbing and tragic and awful stories, especially from people who had been victimized by abuse or violence or just hateful behavior. One lady who'd been mistreated and disrespected in just unbelievable ways asked me, why why would people be so mean? Well, I told her that was a good question for which there was no good answer. But I also told her that if she could find it in her, her heart to forgive people for not being as kind and thoughtful as she was, she would have a happier life. And years later she told me that was the one thing that she carried in her heart. She had a remarkable ability to do that. The other person I'll mention is a young man who had been, oh, he had been amused and mistreated by his parents and gone through just horrible things, unspeakable things, and yet somehow He had a sweet spirit, a warm smile, a generous disposition. When I saw things that just didn't fit and I couldn't understand, I'd ask questions, so I asked him. I said to him, your life has been tragic. Your your history has been so hard. Everything about your life would predict that you would become angry and bitter and mean, but you're not. Someone somewhere in your life has loved you. Somebody has cared for it. who was it and he grinned and grew we big and said, "My grandma <laughs> among us right here in this room are people who have blessed others with those two kinds of wisdom and understanding: forgiveness, including forgiving others for not being as polite or as good as you are or as you have been to them, and loving others in such a way that builds them up, and affirms the value of their life. Being loved and forgiven, that is why we can say with the psalmist, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thanks be to God.